Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Um, we have another great show lined up for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few things. We're going to talk about hell and depression. And really, is there any correlation, any connection? What is that like? And why am I even thinking about this? Um, the other thing we're going to be talking about is for anybody who continues to do the Holy Hour Challenge, we're coming up on the end here. Um, I'd love to hear if you took on the challenge, what your thoughts were. Was it helpful? Did you find anything um, change in your life for the better. And I will share my stories as well uh, when, in future shows when, when I'm completely done with the challenge um, because it's been very life-changing. I want to say it's been in, in different ways. Not in ways that people would say, wow, Dr. Sandoval, you won the lottery and I see that you have a big home and not in obvious ways. Life-changing in terms of my life interiorly and what it's doing for me. But let's get started with our show. Let's start with the Angelus since we are at the noon hour. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Ghost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today uh, we want to talk about taking heaven for granted, and what does that mean in terms of the hell of depression? Um, this came up because as I was treating one of my patients, I mean, many people suffer from depression. It is the second most common mental illness in the United States, or shall we say diagnosis of mental illness in the United States that we know of, of the people who have been diagnosed, of the people who have uh, sought help for it. The number one, if anybody's wondering, is anxiety. Interesting with anxiety, because it's hard to tell. I hope that everybody has uh, the, ca the capacity to feel anxiety because it's a normal human emotion. You know, if the building's on fire, if something's scary, I would hope that there's some kind of anxiety that builds up productive anxiety to help us get out of a dangerous situation. So that's actually a good anxiety. 
but when anxiety gets to be too much, then all of a sudden we need treatment. Today we're talking about depression and really anxiety and depression go hand in hand because if somebody's anxious enough for a long time, they're eventually going to get depressed usually. Um, and when somebody has a lot of depression, anxiety is going to build up secondarily because depression limits us in many ways. I know that we've talked about depression on the show before, um, but this was an interesting case. I had a patient who I was treating for depression and in many ways, I learn a lot from my patients. I learn a lot in terms of life, in terms of how I perceive things or how I see things, um, and really about what their experiences are. And in this particular case, I, I learned that I realized sometimes I think I take things for granted, um, more so not on purpose or not because uh, we're trying to be mean or I'm trying to be mean. I, I speak for myself in this case, even though it might resonate with other people as I've been talking to other people about it. Um, but really, I take it for granted to not have a state of depression or mental illness or things of that nature, um, or at least thinking that I don't in, in, in that way. And the reason I say that is sometimes people don't even realize that they're depressed or sometimes people don't realize that there's a cloud over them um, that they might feel is just part of being you know, part of life, something I'll get over eventually or not even thinking about it. And I think that there is a big correlation between that and our spiritual life as well. I think sometimes we don't think about the fact that due to sin, due to things that we've let go, due to, uh, or let happen, um, or due to not even getting to confession on time, due to not making an examin examination of conscience, sometimes I think that we might not realize that we might be um, not attending to our prayer lives or something along those lines. And there might be a darkness surrounding us that is not lifting. Um, but in this case in particular, it was an interesting case. I had a, there was a young lady and uh, she was probably in her thirties. Um, and I was treating her for depression. She came to me and it was very obvious that she was depressed. So she was meeting the criteria. She was feeling very depressed. She was having crying spells. Uh, um, she could not function at work. Her cognition was all out of whack. She couldn't think clearly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. She, um, she got to the point where she, after she left conversations with people, she always left feeling like she either shared too much information. She should, she said things she wished she wouldn't have. Um, she left the conversation wondering what people were saying about her or thinking about her. Um, she lacked motivation about things that she normally found joyful in life. Um, she no longer found joyful. She used to have a hobby of butterflies and she was, you know, people do bird watching and things like that. She did butterfly watching or at least studying of butterflies and that did not interest her at all. And she was also an artist and she would draw. Um, and that did not interest her at all. Um, at this point when I met her initially, uh, and so of course you go through the criteria. She didn't feel like she wanted to hurt herself or anything along those lines, but she went through the classic feeling that if she did not exist, it would have been okay. You know, if she was not actively looking to end her life, but she felt like, gosh, as I'm driving, you know, I'm, I'm going to the supermarket, take your pick. I think I could easily drive off this bridge and it would be fine. People might even be better off or, um, you know, I could go on the wrong side of the road. She didn't want to do any of these things. This is what we call passive ideation. She did not have an active plan. She didn't say, I want to kill myself, but she kept thinking, you know, if God takes me, I wouldn't mind. I'd rather actually not even exist. I kind of want to go into a dark closet, close the door. And then when things get better or when I feel better, then I want to come out, you know, and I don't know when that's going to be, was her thought. One of the challenging things was that there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And as she was talking, it wasn't until um, she, I got her on medication 
you know, and of course, unfortunately, the medication sometimes takes time to work. We always say give it about four to six weeks if you are taking something like an SSRI, an SNRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, or serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, which are our first-line treatments. Um, but when you take those, it do, do take a little bit of time to work. They're very subtle. They can take four to six weeks. And then when they kick in, it's going to be different for different people. And then the frustrating part is for some people, you the first one you try might not be the one that kicks in for them right away. Um, but in her case, as, as I was treating her, um, we did have to try a few different ones. It didn't work right away. And so, I, you know, it's kind of like I was walking with her through this process and trying to give her hope and letting her know, um, you know, you're going to get better. We just got to find the right medication for you. I believe that we need to t- probably try about three different medications and the third one was finally the charm for her. Um, other patients, uh, it's not to be discouraged, other patients will take that first medication and it'll be just fine, you know, and then they say, oh gosh, that first one was great. Um, in her particular case, she did take a few. But while we were doing this and we were trying, you know, trying out different medications, I realized I was going to be that light of hope for her because I was her cheerleader. I was the one telling her, don't worry, this is going to get better. And <clears throat> she, you know, that's what kept her going. Otherwise, she said that, she pretty much felt like she just wanted to stay in bed all day um, and that she didn't want to get out. I mean, she was getting up and going to work, but boy, it took a lot um, for her to get to work. Uh, it took, it really got to the point where um, she was worried about being fired. We had to do some time off of work um, for her at times, especially if we were transitioning medications because she just was not functioning well. Um, I give you this background because it's important to see that as she started to get on the right medication, she did get better. But that time where she was depressed, that time where she was in that darkness, um, it really, the way she was describing it was, it really equated to me um, a lot of times what the saints would have said uh, in terms of what hell was like and what those visions of hell were like for them or what they experienced themselves if they did experience any of the tortures of hell. Um, like St. Teresa of Avila at times uh, would talk about. And we're going to look at those uh, in the next part of the show. But the important thing is that when people are going through depression, if anybody is going through depression out there, understand that if you are not feeling well, if you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, I want you to hear the words that you are not alone and there will be a light. You just can't see it right now. It's important to think that way because one of the classic signs that people tell me when they are feeling depressed um, is that they don't, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. They don't ever remember what it was like to enjoy things, enjoy life, um, to find something funny. You know, they'll say, Dr. Sandoval, if I go and I watch a comedy or something, because I'm trying to get out of this, I don't know how to do it. Um, and I watch a funny movie, which I used to enjoy all the time. Intellectually, in my mind, I know it's funny. Um, but my emotions, my body, it's not connected to it. Uh, I don't laugh. I know that it was funny. I can tell you that it was funny as an intellectual exercise, but I don't have the experience of funny. So it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to experience it. And I think that that's where uh, we can equate this to, you know, what what's gonna, what's hell going to be like? Am I possibly going to Is that part of what hell is like that? Is it a torture to know what it is like that God loves us or to know God's love intellectually, but not be able to experience it and to know that we're separated from that entirely? 
we're going to look at what a few of the saints have said about hell, what some patients have described as to what depression feels like, and let's compare those and see is there any similarity, any differences, and what do we do about it in terms of our treatment and how we move forward. More when we come back from the break. Right, welcome back to the clinic here at the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Uh, today we are talking about depression and hell. And is there any kind of connection in terms of the symptoms, what people experience, and what um, what we can really come to understand in terms of if somebody is experiencing that? And really I want to think about what does that mean in our own lives um, in terms of not that we are in hell or that we are particularly depressed, but one of the things that happens when patients are depressed or are, de are experiencing depression is that sometimes they tell me, doc, I don't even know how I got there. You know, I look back and once I get the treatment and I'm out of my depression, I look back and I think, how did I ever get to such a place? Well, let's look at this. Let's see what, um, um, what some of the patients say, um, in terms of depression and what they experience. So I got this from an article um, just wanting to hear what, what patients were, what their experience was, what they shared. Um, once they've, usually it's easier to tell once they've recovered because they can look back on it. But sometimes, um, you know, you can, they can share while they're experiencing the depression. Um, they can really elucidate what it is. Um, <clears throat> one of the patients was saying, well, actually, let me just tell you what this patient said. When I was treating this young lady, one of the things that she said was, she said, my body feels so heavy that I can't move even though my brain wants to. She said, there's a separation from my brain and my body. And that's very, very common. Um, you know, it, it seems like there's this sense that I cannot do my own will. I am trapped. Um, and that there is nothing that can be done. I, I, I want to do something differently, but my reality um, does not correlate with that what's in my head. Um, it it, it kind of reminded me of um, another thing that she had told me was that everything is dark. You know, when, I, when I'm in the middle of a depression, I don't see anything positive. There's this veil around me of darkness um, during the day when the sun's out, we can say that it's gray. Um, but she said, no matter what people were doing, people were out, they were happy. She could see that other people were enjoying their time together, but she herself did not experience that. One of the things that as I was looking at, well, what did the saints say about hell? Um, and I kind of correlated that with something that St. Ignatius Loyola said. He said, let us fancy we see hell and imagine what is worse to behold a horrible cavern full of black flames, sulfur, devils, dragons, fire, swords, arrows, and innumerable damned who roar in despair. Imagine the worst you can and then say, all this is nothing compared to hell. So he's given us, a St. Ignatius of Loyola here gives us a very dark picture of hell. There is nothing positive here. There is definitely no light at the end of the tunnel and any light would be black flames. So it's interesting that he mentions black flames to me because we normally we turn on a stove, we light a match, we see a fire, a nice campfire. And these, the, the fire from that is very lively. It's very either yellow or we see some blues from the stove, um, depending on the gas that's burning or what it is 
that's burning. Um, but we we don't imagine we always imagine fire to be bright and a light that emits. Interesting that he mentions black flames because it reminded me of what she was saying in terms of a dark veil or darkness. Black flames, I could only imagine that they're going to emit some kind of a black light. So whatever I see with black flames is going to be negative. It's going to be dark. Um, in her case, it's the same thing. The sun could be out. She said, I could see other people enjoying themselves, but that was not her reality. She could not experience that. It's almost like seeing things through a black flame. Yes, I can see it. The flame gives me the ability to see, but it gives me to see darkness and not light. It was interesting to me that she w- that she just had described that. She, she had mentioned that there was a, a veil around her. I can only imagine that St. Ignatius, again, that was St. Ignatius who gave that quote of, what hell would be like with the black flame, you know, um, something to think about. There was another quote from a, um, uh, uh, St. Cyprian of Carthage. And he said, the wicked bodies of the condemned shall simmer and blaze in those living fires. Interesting. Again, um, I, if I correlate that with what St. Ignatius said, there's living fires, so they are there, but they don't give life. It's a black fire that would come out of hell. Um, and then uh, one of my one of the, my favorite saints, Saint Anthony Marie Claret, he said, "The natural fire that we see during this life has great power to burn and torment. Yet this is not even a shadow of the fire of hell." So one of the things is that the, the word that stuck out with me on that one is not so much the fire, but the torment. So this patient of mine, she definitely felt tormented when there was this shield around her, this darkness around her, a cloud, a barrier of, of darkness, and it tormented her. Now, normally you talk to somebody about this and you say, yeah, you know, I kind of see everything as dark. Um, and we don't necessarily think, we just kind of think, well, let me help you get out of that. Let me help you, um, you know, well, let's go catch a movie. Let's go for a walk. Let's do all these things to get you to feel better. One of the challenging things is that if somebody is suffering from clinical major depressive disorder, they would more be more than happy to go see 10 movies, have 100 walks, go to see 3,000 sunsets. It doesn't matter. They would do it if they would feel better, but that is not happening for them. So one of the things to consider is that what they're experiencing, even though they might describe it as, uh, you know, gosh, there's this shadow, there's something that separates us, but you got to remember that there is a torment that they're experiencing as they tell you this, this is something that is really, really troublesome um, because how frustrating can it be that all of a sudden you see that everybody else is enjoying themselves. Somebody's playing with their kids, walking their dog, reading a joke and they're laughing and you cannot participate in that. You cannot engage in that. There is no connection. She really made me think about a lot of things in terms of how we talk about one, the fact that we enjoy things. This is where I say, I, I feel like I kind of take things for granted sometimes or I don't think about it. And sometimes, you know, where we ask ourselves, well, why did God make suffering? I think suffering helps us to see the other side. It helps me to appreciate the fact that we are going to a place where there is no suffering. And then I'm going to appreciate heaven much more because to think that I would not be able to enjoy something to, that I'm separated from it, but I watch other people enjoy it. That's got to be a torment. That's got to be at the very least a purgatory, um, if not directly a hell. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that happens in hell. You can only experience the negative, the dark. And that's what she was telling me. Um, you know, all that, all that she could experience was the negative and the dark. Um, the other thing that, um, she had described was not only that, but 
she said that she felt that she could give, she, she was kind of putting people off and she knew it, but she didn't know how to be different. You know how we say that people have an aura about them, um, that, you know, it's like if you walk into a room and you want you need to sit down in a waiting room or something and you look around the room and just by looking at the people, even though they're sitting there, you can tell if somebody's anxious, even if they're not actively doing something, there's an aura about them. You say, wow, that person looks really anxious or somebody else is sitting there and they look very serious and very stern and you say, whoa, they look like they could be upset. There's an aura that we give off. And she was mentioning how she could tell that there was an aura that she was giving off um, that would make people want to separate from her. She said that it was almost as though the depression was coming out of her pores, um, almost like somebody who's alcoholic or something. And she said, it's it, not that you can smell the depression, but imagine if you could, if it was like alcohol or something poisonous. She said, I feel like there's a cloud around me, something almost gray, green, toxic that people can kind of smell and they need to stay away from. And she said, I feel like I'm giving that off. Um, and that was interesting to me because uh, in terms of the the visions of hell that people see, um, one of the things was St. Ephraim of Syria who talked about this and he said, alas, of what kind is that place of wailing and gnashing of teeth of which even Satan shudders? That part was interesting to me. We're going to come back to that. Let me finish this whole quote. He said, oh, whoa, what kind of place it is where the unsleeping worm dies not, what dread misery to be sent out into outer darkness of what kind of angels placed over these torments whose pitless and frightful punished by casting in there while at the same time they reproach most. Um, then shall those already in the midst of the torments cry out with pleading voices and there will be no one to speak for them to the Lord and they shall not be heard. Two things that I thought were interesting there is that when she mentioned this aura or feeling like I'm letting, you know, making people uh, get away from me and not like me, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this quote is, um, one, at the very end, it says, then shall those already in the midst of the torments cry out with pleading voices, and there will be no one to speak to them for the Lord. I can only imagine that, you know, when you're feeling depressed, it's like you want to cry out for help, but at the same time, if you're putting people off, if you're very negative, there is a space between you and people, and they, nobody seems to want to help you because they're going to try to help you, but then they might feel sucked into the depression. They might feel like, whoa, you're giving off this negative vibe. That can be very, very challenging for people. Um, and then the first part of it, which I thought was very interesting, um, is that a lot of times in society, um, not so much with depression, obviously depression, we want to help people. We don't think it's a good thing, but sometimes people think that, you know, there's that saying of better to reign in hell than, than serve in heaven. Um, and we think that, oh, the devil's really enjoying his time because he's in charge and now he's the king uh, in his own in his own world or the prince of darkness or whatever we want to call it. He has his own kingdom. But it was interesting that St. Ephraim of Syria said this, alas, what kind is that place of wailing and gnashing of teeth that even Satan shudders? So even the devil doesn't like to be there. He's even tortured there. we got to remember that. We forget that uh, if this is a place of torture, he's not enjoying himself. He's being tortured himself and yet they accept this. Um, this sounds to me like... Um, not that depression is like that. I don't think anybody wants to be depressed, but what is that place that if I'm in this place of depression, I feel that I'm being tortured. Um, and, and this, and there's nothing positive about this. I thought if somebody's going to experience depression, um, here it helps me understand that, boy, I really want to get them treatment. I want to get them out of that depression because what a terrible place to be in, to be in a place where there is nothing good. There is no sense of, you know, people think that, oh, you know, in hell, Satan rules over all these other demons and he's kind of this very powerful um, um, angel or demon, I should say, a fallen angel. Um, 
but even he shudders in there, even he's being tortured in there. And then that's part of, is that part of their enjoyment? If your darkness is light, um, right? How deep that darkness will be, that could be part of it. But this is where for somebody with depression, I think of them, you know, possibly experiencing some hell, but possibly like in a purgatory where, you know, there is some kind of a um, sense of hopefully I can get them hope in purgatory. At least there's a hope that I will get to heaven, even if I am not happy, even if I do feel some of the tortures um, or even if I'm tortured because I'm not near God. But there's a hope that I will get there with this patient in terms of her depression. Um, the goal was let's get her some treatment so that she can see that light so that she gets out of this sense of depression. Another thing that, um, one of the patients that I had, um, looked up was in terms of depression. One of the things that they were saying is sometimes there was so much darkness that they didn't even want to come out of their room, um, because the light actually hurt them. And that was interesting to me that they said that because they, they said it didn't cause the, you know, being out in the light open up the window. It didn't correspond to where they were. They preferred to be in a dark, physically dark place because it represented the darkness they were experiencing inside and how challenging that is. That must be very hard for somebody because why be in darkness? You know, most of us think, gosh, I want to, if I get move into a home, move into an apartment, I want somewhere where there's great natural light, open the curtains, open the windows. I want to experience this. I want to have great views. But yet somebody suffering from depression is going to want to close off their external world because that's how their internal world heals. We're going to talk more about how we're going to treat depression, how my patient did after she got better, and how there's a whole lot of hope for anybody experiencing depression out there. All right, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today here in the clinic, we are talking about depression and we are talking about can we compare it to hell? Um, I was talking about a patient who I was treating who um, she was going through a very, very hard time. Her depression was pretty heavy. It was on the severe side. She was not suicidal, did not want to end her life, but she was finding it very hard to function in society. She was finding it where she could barely get to work. She did not find anything enjoyable, and that was very hard for her. Um, one of the things that we talked about is can uh, depression be compared to hell? And I mentioned a few quotes that the um, saints had said about their visions of hell and how that compares to demonic or excuse me, to depressive, uh, symptoms. And, and is that possible? This came up too, and I was doing some of my research and there was an interesting article that came out in the uh, Huffington Post. And this was from, um, gosh, I think this was back in, yeah, it was from May of 2017. I want to read this article a little bit because it speaks to it and it's called the demons of depression. Let's go through the article and see if this resonates with anybody. And then we're going to talk uh, later on about how we treat it and what it's like on the other side when somebody has been treated for depression successfully and then what their experience is like, especially as they look back on the time that they were feeling depressed. But let's look at this article very quickly. It's called the demons of depression again, it's from the Huffington post. Um, and it says, unless you suffer, and it says in, in parentheses, yes, suffer with depression, you will never truly understand what it feels like. This is very true. You know, as I see my patients, this is why I say I take it for granted sometimes um, that I can enjoy things or that I can get up and go to work or that I can enjoy being with my family. And the things I complain about are, you know, gosh, I'm too tired now and I'm at the end of the day, which is normal. You know, everybody goes through that. But 
unless you've experienced depression, sometimes it's hard and, and we kind of just get used to the fact that, yeah, of course I'm going to enjoy, you know, my favorite cup of coffee that I'm going to enjoy, um, hanging out with my family or going to the beach and it's going to be a beautiful day. Right. So, and the biggest thing I'm concerned about is, is there sand in my swimsuit uh, for somebody with depression? They would, they would probably just hope that that would be all that they worried about. But let's continue reading this article. It says, let me try to enlighten you. It's dark so horribly dark that there are demons in the dark that are attacking you physically and mentally. They are relentless and attack the one who keeps the light from shining. On top of that, there are voices, voices screaming at the top of their lungs. They scream out every weakness and transgression you have ever had since the day you were born. They scream continually, never stopping to breathe. And then on top of the darkness and the voices, as if we need more, there is a physically abusive demon that tells you what an awful job you are doing at everything you attempt or have attempted, especially attacking the unconditional love for your family. Toss in the environmental struggles we all have in our day-to-day lives, and the only solution is taking your own life. When you mesh all these entities together, it creates one awful continual hell to live in. So let's back up a little bit because, you know, the article is really personifying the symptoms of depression as demons. And, you know, when we talk about is hell real or not, and a lot of people don't believe in the devil, don't believe in hell, things of that nature. But once you start to experience depression, you might get a taste or understand how, gosh, if this is somebody's reality or existence and it's this dark, there could be a place called hell. There could be things called demons. When we look at this, one of the interesting things about this is it says toss in the environmental struggles and we have in our day-to-day lives, the only solution is taking your own life. Now that is true for a lot of people. Some people do get to the point of suicidal ideation, um, as we call it, not necessarily true for everybody, but it can happen. Um, does that mean that everybody who suffers from depression wants to take their own life? No. Like I was saying with this patient of mine, she did not get to the point where she actually actively or thought thought about taking her own life. What she thought about is she just did not want to exist. And there's a fine difference. There's a delineation we have to make where if somebody is talking in that fashion, we ask them specifically, do you have a plan? Do you have a means? Uh, do you have a date time? Is there something that you are going to do to actively hurt yourself versus, um, you know, somebody who says, no, I just would rather not exist. I'd rather die. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to end my life. I'm not going to kill myself. It's just the, that's how bad the torture is that I'm experiencing. That's how bad the darkness is that I am experiencing this. Um, I'm going to read through the, the article really quickly and then we'll come back and analyze some of these paragraphs. It says, and yes, remember all of this is continual, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even in your dreams. And just when you think you might have one of them under control, one of the other two ups its games and comes down even harder on you. You can't control any of it. Pretty soon the future comes into play with its own set of evil entities taunting you about the what could be's and if you would have's. In an ongoing battle where you are never the winner. It rages on and on, never sleeping, never stopping. And the medications you've been put on for depression, all they do is numb your senses where you can't fight back. They make you drowsy, physically and mentally limp, creating a more vulnerable you for all the evil that is raging within. And when you go to counseling to try and stop everything that is attacking you, oh, they love that. Even more fodder to feed the incessant appetites. Sure, bring up old hurts and memories or try and deal with them. You're feeding the monster even more than it's already been fed, feeding it so it can rage on full of fuel. 
Major depressive disorder is a cycle that can't be broken. There is always some memory to dwell on, some imperfection to hit yourself over, some awful consequence that you forever pay. It's an internal damnation that can't be reversed. So next time someone says they are depressed, think about everything they are continually going through instead of just chalking it up to a bad day or that it's just their personality. Depression is a major problem, quickly becoming an epidemic. It's tearing families apart limb from limb. It's, it is attacking our workplaces and friendships. It doesn't discriminate among any class, ethnic or religion. And it is slowly winning by means of alcoholism and deaths. Get help. Now, the article is pretty brutal at the end there. Get help, you know, telling you what to do. But what I do find that's true about the article, and this is where I say we can compare it to hell because there, one of the things that is true is says, all this is continual, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even in your dreams, this is possible. So this is where, you know, we say hell is eternal. Um, there's no end to it. When somebody is suffering from a severe depression, there is no time of day where it, it you know, it might lift a little bit, shall we say, but there's no time of day where they're not feeling depressed. They're depre depressed throughout the day, trying to function throughout the day. And can it get even into your dream? Sure, because if we're thinking negativity all day long, our dreams are just a manifestation of our subconscious and what we're thinking about during the day, what's at our forefront, um, or what we're trying to block out because part of the other issue is that in, in order for somebody who's this depressed to be able to get to work and function, they have to somehow suppress those depressive thoughts in order to be able to get their work done, if they're even capable of doing that. By the time we go to sleep, we want to relax, all those thoughts come bubbling back up. It can be in the form of direct thoughts or it can be in the form of dreams. And that's something to consider. Um, it says, you know, when you think you might have one of them under control, the other two ups its games. It's talking about the different uh, uh, demons that it had delineated far before. And if it's not the eternal thoughts of screaming at the top of their lungs, scream every weakness and transgression at you then it's going to be uh, the demons that are attacking you physically and mentally, as they say. But this is another thing that's very true. One of the things that this article points out very well is that the demons that people experience with depression, if you will, is that all of a sudden, everything that you find negative about yourself, all your insecurities, what you feel weak about yourself, what you feel are your imperfections, that's all you think about. And that's what it means about the voices screaming at the top of their lungs. Now, they might not hear loud voices, but sometimes it's like, that which is present, um, which becomes, shall we say, metaphorically a loud voice telling you you're no good. Sometimes it's our own thoughts um, that we say, I'm hearing my own thoughts and all I'm doing is having negative, what we call automatic thoughts, meaning that the first thing I think about myself is something negative. Um, very, very common to happen with depression. Um, and then it says, on top of the demon voices, physically abusive demons that you are doing an awful job at everything you attempt or have attempted, especially attacking unconditional love for your family. I'm not exactly sure what it means attacking the unconditional love for your family. Maybe that, um, you know, you're getting upset at your family or like my patient had said that negative aura where she's kind of creating a, a hell space, if you will, with that aura, um, where people are, are, you know, wanting to separate themselves from you because everything feels so heavy. Um, the physically abusive part, I can only attribute that to um, not so much that you're beating yourself up physically or that there are demons out there, you know, with vexations or anything along those lines where they actually physically hurting you. But remember, there's a heaviness that comes with depression. There's a pain that comes with depression and it's actual pain in the bones. You know, it's, it's some people will say that they would actually rather have a physical bruise, that they would actually ha rather uh, have to deal with physical therapy than to go through the emotional part of depression that can be expressed as imagine having physical bruises that never go away and don't let you enjoy life or cuts or things of that nature. The pain that comes with depression can be much more 
devastating than the pain that comes from an actual physical ailment or a physical limitation um, because it's an emotional pain. It's a pain that's in your mind and it doesn't let you function. Um, so this is another very important line about it. Pretty soon the future comes into play and its own set of evil entities taunting you about the what could be's and the if you would haves. So with depression comes a lot of regrets. A lot of people who experience depression, which my patient had actually told me about this, um, it's all of a sudden you start thinking not just about the negative things about ourselves, about the things that we find insecure, but we also start having all these regrets of if only I would have done this in life. Oh my goodness, if only I would have given that pencil to my friend in third grade and I kept it and I felt bad about it and because of that I'm totally depressed. Um, you know, it might sound silly to some people <clears throat> where they say, really, over a pencil? Like, are you kidding me? Um, but the person who's depressed, the simplest, littlest things turn into mountains. They turn into these huge things that they can't get over. You know, it's like I've said before, you tell somebody, gosh, you know, I don't know if I'd like those shoes with that outfit. Most people might not even care. But if you say that to somebody who's depressed, the rest of the day, they feel like they are utter literal failures. Like they just, um, you know, lost a huge account at a bank and need to get fired or something because they wore the wrong shoes. That can be how devastating and intense the depression can be. Um, the medications, this was an important part about this article because this, uh, rings true. It says, and the medications you've been put on for depression, all they do is numb your senses where you can't fight back. They make you drowsy physically and mentally limp, creating a more vulnerable you for all of the evil that is raging within. Interesting part of the article because if that's what you're experiencing on the medication, then I would dare say it's not the right medication for you. The medications do have their side effects. Some patients do tell me, gosh, this medication numbed me out. One of the things that my patient, I said, you know, I think it was the third medication that we tried that finally worked um, because the first one, she actually started gaining a lot of weight on it and that's not going to help anybody get out of their depression. So I let her know that's not good. If somebody's gaining a lot of weight on their on their medication, I switch it. If somebody's losing a lot of weight on their medication because all of a sudden they lost their appetite, I switch it. That's not going to be healthy. Um, and so we got to find the right medication for you. If somebody does feel emotionally numb, which can happen, sometimes patients take their medication and they say, you know what, doc, I'm not feeling depressed, but I'm not feeling happy. I'm not feeling anything. I'm just feeling like I'm numb. Then that's also not the right medication for you. When we come back from the break, we're going to finish analyzing this article and we're going to talk a little bit more about treatment and what the other side of depression looks like once somebody gets better. When we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Um, today we are talking about depression and does it compare to hell? You know, there's a question about are there any demons involved, this and that? And um, I was reading this article. We've been going through this article that was in the Huffington Post and it talked about the demons of depression and really personifying the symptoms of depression as though they were uh, what we know to be demons. Um, as we keep reading through this article, one of the things that we were talking about was that medication for depression um, can actually numb out your senses. And that's possible. This is very true. Um, it makes it so that all of a sudden you're not feeling anything. And if that's the case, that's not the right medication for you. I want to change that medication for you. I want you on something different because the goal of the medication is to get you to feel like yourself. Um, the article went on to say, and when you go to counseling and try to stop everything that is attacking you, oh, they love that. Even more fodder to feed the incessant appetites. Sure, bring up old hurts and memories and try to deal with them. You're feeding the monster even more than it's already been fed. 
feeding it so you can rage on full of fuel. One of the things that I tell my patients sometimes is they say they come in and you know they're feeling depressed, they want medication, and then they say, I think I need therapy at the same time. Depending on the patient on a case-by-case basis, you have to consider, do they need therapy right now? Um, if the patient is not well-controlled and their uh, symptoms of depression are very active, usually what I say is, let's get the medication going first before we start any therapy. Because if you start therapy, different things can come up. Old hurts can come up. It might be too intense. Uh, relationships, wounds, things of that nature. And if your symptoms aren't well-controlled, they can actually spiral your depression even further because the emotions are not are still fragile. They're not in a place where they're ready to uh, be, they don't have the strength to face these things, to face these negative thoughts or, or regrets or things from the past. And if all of a sudden you start bringing this up in depression, that can make things a little bit worse. So you always want to be sure that the person is emotionally in a stable place where they can start to handle these things and sometimes and getting on the right medication is is the path to that now the combination of medication and therapy is the most ideal but we have to make sure that the person is ready for therapy um, now the next part of the article is interesting because it says major depressive disorder is a cycle that can't be broken there is always some memory to dwell on some imperfection to hate yourself over some awful consequence that you forever pay for it's an internal damnation that can't be reversed Notice that this makes it sound like major depressive disorder is eternal, and this is why I equate it to hell. Um, hell is eternal. It can't be diverse, uh, uh, reverse. It's that eter- internal damnation. Um, but hell, as we know, is the internal and external damnation, as Christ tells us. You know, when you're in hell, you're both your body and your soul are going to be tortured. Um, in this particular case, I would dare say that this paragraph, the statement, major depressive disorder is a cycle that can't be broken, not necessarily true, depending on who you ask, and it, I would say it depends. What I would say is this, major depressive disorder is a cycle that can't be broken. That's how it feels for the person being depressed. They do feel that it's an internal damnation that can't be reversed. That's what I mean by there is no light at the end of the tunnel. They are in a living hell because there is no hope. Remember, if you look at Dante's Inferno, what's the sign over hell, um, you know, abandon hope, anybody who's going to enter here, uh, because then all of a sudden there's no hope. That's what major depressive disorder feels like. However, can it be broken? Yes, absolutely. It can be broken. Can you get better? Absolutely. You can get better. I've seen people get better. It happens. This patient got better. And this is what we need to talk about because once we got her on the right medication, um, and a lot of people say, well, what medication did you get her on? It was the right medication for her. I don't necessarily want to say, because sometimes people say, oh, then that's going to be the right medication for me. The medication is very individual. So something that works for one person might not work for another person. Um, But once we got her on the right medication, it did take her about four weeks before she started to notice the difference. What she told me was she did not realize how depressed she was until she realized how much better she felt. Once she got on the right medication, she said, I feel so much better that when I wake up in the mornings, and this is where I say things I take for granted, and um, she said, and things that she's not going to take for granted now, uh, she said, I wake up in the mornings and I can actually get up, shower, get dressed, and enjoy the moment. She said, I couldn't do that before. Before there was a darkness to it. She said, I can get to work. And she said, I'm actually doing really well at work. I believe she was going to be up for a promotion or something along those lines because she had been doing so much better. Um, and she started to say she, that she could actually enjoy things again, which was foreign to her. The fact that she smiled now and she didn't worry if people what or what people thought about her or if they said anything about her. Um, you know, she said that 
it, it, it didn't phase her anymore. It didn't affect her internally. There was no weakness there, as she said, um, because she felt it was like a weakness before. She no longer felt that aura around her. She could talk to people. And in a weird way, in a very good way, she said, other people don't matter to me now. And that doesn't mean that she was being mean. So we got to understand what that meant for her. What she meant was that she wasn't so focused on what other people thought other people were doing why they were enjoying themselves that now she could actually enjoy the moment for herself. And it didn't matter what other people were doing. Her emotions were not linked to other people. Her happiness, her sadness was not linked to other people. It was internal. And this is what really speaks to me about the difference between heaven and hell. You know, they say the tortures from hell come from the demons. They're torturing you externally, physically, and you're being tortured in your mind. Um, you know, and depression seems to do that. We talked about how there can be some physical feelings of physical pain um, with depression and obviously emotional internal pain. But in heaven, once we get there, uh, once the depression was treated, she felt light from the inside. She was able to enjoy what other people were enjoying. She was happy for other people, but she carried her own happiness with her. And I think that that's what really speaks to it. Um, to or I should say, what really speaks to when our happiness comes from God. This is why I think our Lord made the Eucharist so that we could consume it, so that our happiness was inside, so that we could be a part of it. He wanted to be a part of us so much that we can consume the Eucharist. Um, and this is where our adoration for our soul, being going to adoration doing a holy hour, focusing on the virtues of faith, hope, and love. And now for anybody doing the holy hour challenge, it's our uh, coming to the end here, last week of love. And it's been very, very fruitful. Um, I'm understanding more that internal joy that comes from the Lord, that joy that we take with us, that he is still with us. And it doesn't matter what's going on around us because our joy is already there. Um, we don't rely on other people. I understand what that patient was saying in terms of, um, I'm not worried about other people. Other people don't matter to me. It's not, again, it wasn't that she didn't care about other people. If somebody got hurt or something, she'd go help them. It's not like she would say, oh, they're hurt. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to move on. What she meant was, it doesn't matter what they're doing because it's not going to affect my joy. I'm going to go help people. I'm going to go be around people. And if somebody doesn't want to be around me, that's okay. I'm going to move on. Um, and I'm going to find other people who do find joy and happiness. I think that this is where um, the right treatment for depression is life-changing for people because they can appreciate now what life is. You know, this is the difference between life and death. I think that when we look at how other people, even in this article, um, describe depression as being demonic or having demons that influence it, you know, we say what you, people are dealing with their own demons, and this article doesn't specify any particular, shall we say, diabolical entities, but it talks about how the symptoms of depression can be demonic. In the spiritual world, this is why it's so common that in, in our deliverance team, a lot of people who suffer from depression will come to me and say, Dr. Sandoval, what, you know, what's going on with, um, I think I'm, I'm being influenced by demons. I think I'm being oppressed. And they might just have major depressive disorder and they might experience the same things. It's very easy to conflate the two because it's, they're both very similar. Now, if somebody is experiencing something like an oppression, I expect that they're going to be depressed. If somebody is dabbling on the dark side, I expect that they're going to be depressed. There's no way that we can sin or that we can separate ourselves from God and expect to be happy. It just does not happen. It cannot occur, um, you know, especially if we do it forthrightly, uh, knowingly. This is why the difference between a mortal sin and venial sin and what that does for people um, in terms of their mental well-being, it's going to affect them. 
there's no way that we can sin and be happy. There's no way that we can dabble in the darkness and be happy. The same way that if depression comes on for somebody, major depressive disorder, clinical de uh, depression, um, they're going to experience that. One of the things that my patient said was, now that she felt better, she could not understand how she got to such a low place. She's all, how did I get there? And again, it happens gradually. It's because all of a sudden we start to feel depressed. If somebody is feeling depressed, you know, one day, two days, that's what we expect. You know, we all have bad days in our lives. We can all be sad. Uh, we're not going to be happy all the time. But after a couple of days of depression, we think, oh, I'm going to get better. I'm feeling sad. I'm going to, you know, get myself back up and go do something. And sometimes what will happen is we'll wait for, you know, I'll be better tomorrow. I'm going to sleep it off. Uh, I've been down for about a week. You know, I had a bad week. I'm going to sleep it off. All of a sudden, we're a week and a half, and it's not getting better. In order to diagnose somebody with clinical depression, they have to have had two weeks of depression that didn't lift, and then it continues from there. What happens is, though, is that we still have hope. Little by little, that hope starts to diminish, and all of a sudden, we're not getting better, and the darkness starts to take over. That depression starts to take over. So if you notice that it's been a month, two months, three months, and you're still not feeling better, you're not able to get out of bed, it might be the time to go talk to a therapist, your primary care doctor, a psychiatrist, somebody to see if you might not need some help from uh, medications in order to get you out of this dark spot. If you find that nothing is getting better, there is going to be hope. And especially if you find that you're getting to the point where not only are you thinking about ending your life or you think that it'd be better if you didn't exist, but you're starting to make plans, then definitely go get help. Talk to somebody because every life is worth living. You are still worth it for sure, um, but it might not feel that way. If we have a family member, like I always say, if somebody is suffering from depression, appreciate the fact that they are in a dark place. Um, it's easy to get down on them because just like my patient had said, there's that negative aura surrounding them. Um, and so that can actually suck people around them in and make the other people depressed. Um, in the spiritual world, people will say, well, if they're being oppressed or they're being influenced by demons, maybe those demons are going to affect the people around them as well or incite the demons around them and make everybody upset. Either way we look at it, the whole point is we need to look at this from a perspective of we need to get some positivity. If you're worried that there's anything spiritual involved, start following the sacraments, look through the list of Ten Commandments, do an examination of conscience, get to confession, get right with God. And that's going to lift all of our spirits. That's going to lift anything that could be in that area. Uh, do binding prayers, do deliverance prayers. Um, and you can find those easily. You can get Father Ripperger's book on deliverance prayers for the laity. You can open the Bible and just read Bible passages and meditate on that. Meditation on Bible passages is one of the main things that's going to drive away any negative spiritual entities. But if we have a family member who's suffering from depression, it wouldn't hurt to actually open a Bible and start praying for them and start meditating on it. Um, and then at the same time, have them get help with their psychiatrist. I remember I had another patient. Uh, it wasn't for her. She was not doing well, but it was because her son was really doing badly. And she said that she was worried that her son had gotten into some demonic influence issues, things of that nature that was causing her depression. It wasn't that she was directly depressed. So um, it, she was in treatment for depression, but her son was really the driving force of the influence. He lived in her home and he was not very nice. One of the things she started doing was she started opening her Bible and reading the Bible. And she said, initially, her son said, why are you doing that? Close that. I don't like that you're doing that. And then she said, I really think, Dr. Sandoval, that this is something much more spiritual. So what she started doing was quietly in her room reading the Bible. And then she would open the door and read the Bible. And she said that in her mind, she could see the positivity coming into the house as she was doing that. 
And within probably a couple of months, she said her son was doing much better. And then she was reading the Bible. And she said he didn't even remember telling her to not read the Bible later on. She was in her living room reading the Bible. And she said, I'm just going to keep doing that because now he's at peace. And if he's at peace, I'm at peace. At the same time, she encouraged him to go get help for what appeared to be his own depression. Um, and he did, and he got better. So he got medication. I always think that there's a combination of things going on uh, since we are body, mind, and soul. But again, this is to say that there is hope if you are experiencing depression. If you're a family member, appreciate the fact that depression can be very heavy. It can make the person seem like they are going through a hell and it can be very hard because nobody wants to be a part of that. But if we can pray for our family members, if we can get them help, they're going to get better. There is that light at the end of the tunnel. As far as prayers, if anybody's doing the Holy Hour Challenge, I tell you, this is something that will definitely lift your depression. It will lift a lot of things, whether it be a spiritual depression, a physical depression, a mental depression, whatever's going on. Christ is going to be the ultimate medication. I always tell my patients when they say, oh, I want to pray or I want to do this, I say, I don't have better medication than that. That's not to say we don't prescribe regular um, medication as we do. I am a physician. I'm going to prescribe medication. But I don't have better medication than Christ because he is the ultimate physician for body, mind, and soul. And so getting to that holy hour on the topic of love, praying for the infused virtue of love, if we've now been praying for faith, hope, and love, once we start to feel that love of God, nothing else is going to matter. That's all we're going to want. We're not going to care about chasing anything um, in terms of money, possessions, uh, bigger homes, take your pick. Um, that's not going to matter to us because we're going to realize that all that is fleeting. In fact, all of that, chasing all that can actually cause a depression because it's never going to be good enough. I see this all the time where patients will feel, I've literally had some patients feel depressed because of social media because they go on social media, whichever sites they're on, I'm not on social media myself, but whatever sites they're on, um, and they see that their friends took that one picture, you know, at the beach with their whole family, or that they were on vacation somewhere and they took a picture and everybody looks so happy. And we infer that there is a perfect life. We imagine that they are, they have no problems in life and we are not up to speed. We need to chase that. We need to get the money that they have. And then later on they find out that, you know, that picture was taken in a moment a fleeting two second moment because the family was arguing. Um, there was actually a poster behind them. Uh, they weren't really out in the woods. They were just in their backyard. It wasn't a big trip to Sequoia. It was just down the park. Um, you know, they weren't really on an island somewhere in the Pacific, uh, in the Caribbean or somewhere exotic. It was just at the local beach. Um, but you know, people will make things up or say things to make their lives look better because sometimes that's what society tells us we need to do that can lead to a very, very big depression. What I want our listeners to remember is that the solution to all this is finding Christ and finding the joy from Christ. And that will make it so that we're never worried about anything else, anything that's going to interfere with our happiness. If our happiness comes from within, we don't have to worry about getting depressed overall. If we do still get depressed because it's in our lives, it's in genetic, it's part of what's happening, get help. We can get better. If there are situations of chronic depression, continue to get help. Don't lose hope. Find the right medication for you. Find the right therapist for you. And moving forward, you're going to see that that light at the end of the tunnel will not only show up, it'll get better and it will envelop you. Uh, until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, make sure that you get treatment for yourself or your family if you're ever feeling down. Keep praying to keep any darkness away from your spiritual life. 
and make sure that we can get it all out of our depressions, whether they be mental, spiritual, physical, and be a light for our families. Until next week, we'll see you here at the clinic.